universe is it appropriate for a governor general to deride people for their beliefs? Some of you saw that? Uh, journalist Robin Urbach says, it's hardly within Julie Payette's mandate to express incredulity at Canadians' views on religion or science. Robin Urbach reports that Payette's delivery was theatrical and, and mocking. Let's just get a picture here of, of our new governor general. Now, for those of you who don't know, she is actually the first Canadian, uh, woman Canadian astronaut, and uh, she is now our governor general. So she definitely is a woman of learning. Uh, she is a scientist, no question about that. But here's what she says. She says, can you believe, this is her speech, can you believe that still today in learned society, in houses of government, unfortunately, we're still debating and still questioning whether humans have a role in the earth? warming up, or whether even the earth is warming up, period, she said. And we are still debating and still questioning whether life was a divine intervention or whether it was coming out of a natural process, let alone, oh my goodness, a random process. Now, some of you may have seen uh, the, the kickback. A lot of journalists uh, really got upset about that. And many journalists were not not even Christians, they're atheists. But their, their thing is this, is what business has... Our Governor General, who represents all Canadians, what is she even wading into that territory for? Um, if you haven't already watched the video clip that we showed last week, I invite you to go to our uh, Facebook page, Crosschurch Facebook, or go to my Crosschurch, or my, uh, my personal Facebook page. I posted it there. I would invite you to do that. But you'll discover when you see that video clip that not all scientists and definitely not all astronauts share her opinion. Our culture, our society is very much anti-God and very much anti-creation or creationism. And I want you to know that, and I want everybody here to feel confident in their faith, confident in their belief system, confident in the, in the reality that that science is not always right, and they don't have all the answers. And scientists are the ones that will readily admit that. So uh, I'm hoping that through this series that you'll be confident in what you believe as a Christian, that you'll be confident in your beliefs, and understand that we have, very much have, a very reasonable faith. There are mysteries, there's things that we don't understand, there's things that, that we, can't, we can't connect those dots but I'm going to tell you that it's, it's no different in, this, in the world of science. There's so many things that we don't understand. So just because you don't understand something doesn't mean it's not true. Hope you understand that. Our faith is very reasonable. And when you begin to look at what we teach as a church and who Jesus is and what Jesus says about himself and what John says in the Gospel of John, you begin to recognize that this faith of ours makes sense. It's very reasonable. There's a reason for everything that Jesus is and for everything that Jesus does. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus is God. He's our creator. And today, what I want to talk about is the fact that Jesus is human. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about Jesus, who is the baptizer. And in case you don't know what that is, uh, we're talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. I can hardly wait to share that with you. And then we, we end our series on Jesus, who is the king. Now, when people ask you the question, who is Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? Remember, Jesus asked his disciple this question. 
Who do you say I am? If you, if you haven't understood this yet, you, hopefully you'll get it today. When it comes to our faith, you have to understand what it is that you believe. Because for the vast majority of Christians, you go to church every Sunday, you sing the songs, you love the songs. Oh my, it's wonderful, it's good. And by the way, wasn't the worship fantastic today? It was really wonderful. Yeah. And uh, man, to hear everybody entering, it just thrills my heart. But there's so much more to it than that. We have to understand who God is. Who is Jesus? What does he mean to us? And do we understand, are we able to explain this and to describe it to others? So, so when Jesus is asking this question, who do you say I am? I'm asking you that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Hopefully at the end of this series on the beautiful Savior, you'll be able to answer that question. So what I'd like to do before I get into Jesus as the human, I'd like to just quickly recap what we talked about last week. And um, here's, a, here's a, a text that we got this week from Jared Iwanchuk. I We asked Jared's permission to share this with you. And he shares John 17, verse 5. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. And he says, I like this because Jesus himself confirms the declaration made by the author at the beginning of this gospel. Rad. Oh, I love that. Oh, man, just keep those texts coming because that just puts, just puts the gasoline in my tank. I just appreciate that so much. So, in case you missed it, uh, Jesus says this about himself in Revelation 22, verse 13. And, and again, if you don't know, that's the last chapter of Revelation. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, when I first read that, I wondered, why is Jesus describing himself that way? And I can tell you, I read this when I was probably about nine or ten. I read through the whole book of Revelation, just thrilled out of my mind. I loved it. But what does that mean? Why is Jesus describing himself that way? Why not just say he's the first and the last? He's the beginning and the end. Well, there's a reason for it. That Alpha and Omega that he's referring to, we actually find it in the very first verse in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this is seven Hebrew words. But in our English translation, it only translates six of those seven words. And the reason is because that word in the middle has no translation. In fact, if they translated it, it wouldn't make sense. You'd say, what? What does that mean? Jewish scholars themselves will say, well, we don't really know why it's there. We know that it's a marker. It, it, uh, it tells us what the object of the sentence is. But we don't need to have it there because we know what the object of the sentence is. So why is it there? Jewish scholars scratch their heads. We don't really know. But we know. Because here's the thing, folks. The Aleph Taf, that word that's not translated into English, is actually the equivalent to the Alpha and Omega and so we see right at the very beginning of the Bible, the Alpha and Omega in the very first sentence in Genesis and at the very end of the Bible in Revelation 22. Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, that's who Jesus says he is, was right there at the creation. And so we recognize that Jesus is the creator God. Now, if that doesn't thrill you, I mean, it thrills me. Uh, I was I actually talked to Lauren Zilke this past week, and she said when she got home from church, that's all she could talk about. She was so excited about this, discovering that Jesus was right there in Genesis chapter 1. Well, Jesus is not just God. He is also human. 
Now, by the way, before we go any further, because we said we were going to answer this question, why does it matter? And here's why it matters. Here's why we need to know that Jesus is God. Because what Jesus commands us to do, we are compelled to do. Does that make sense? We, none of us would argue about keeping the Ten Commandments because God said it. We must do it. Well, guess what? Jesus is God. And anything that Jesus tells us to do is not a suggestion. It's a command. He tells us to love one another. He tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to share the good news, to make disciples. These are not suggestions. These are the commands of our God, of our Lord. Amen? Now, Jesus is not just God and creator. He's also human. And we're going to find out today why that matters. So here's what John says. And remember, we're reading through John chapter 1. And if you haven't read it yet, please, when the service is over, don't do it now. When you're sitting in your car uh, before you go home, don't leave the parking lot until you've had this read. Um, and I'm going to be watching for you. I really need you to read John chapter 1. Please, would you, everybody, Scouts Honor, whatever that is, please do that, John, John chapter 1. And if you could, this would be really helpful, read throughout the book of John. And you're going to see that through this series, I, I reference all kinds of verses throughout the book of John. In fact, that's how Jared discovered that great verse. In, in John chapter 17, he, he's reading through the Bible, man, and he's seen Jesus everywhere. It's so cool. Okay. I'm a little excited about this, as you can tell. So the Word became human. Did you get that? Now remember, the Word is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word is God. So the Word, God, became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Uh, this, by the way, is a New Living Translation, and it translates uh, unfailing love and faithfulness. In your Bible, it may say, might say full of grace and truth. I don't know why they put unfailing love and faithfulness. Um, uh, that's a question mark. I don't know why it's there. But here it is. Jesus is full of grace and truth, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John wants us to know that Jesus is God and that Jesus is human. Now, we talked about this uh, in, the, in the video clip before I came out. We talked about the hypostatic union. Say that with me. Hypostatic union. In, in Greek, it's hypostasis, which basically is talking about a substance. The, the union of the word and the union of, of man. God and man become one in Jesus Christ. So in case anybody wants to know, in case anybody's questioning you about what you believe, you're going to tell them Jesus is 100% God and he's 100%, pardon? Man, that's right. 100% human, 100% God. Now, I want you to look at this very first, uh, very first part of John chapter 1 verse 14. Look at this. And in the Greek it goes, O logos sarks egenetoke and he mean. Basically, it says uh, the saying or the word becomes flesh and booths or tabernacles in and among us. Now, let's, let's just take a look at this. So the word became human and made his home among us. In English, it loses something, and I'm going to share with you. This is really very exciting. 
you see, remember we said that the word is God? Look at how the word God and the flesh or human are, are juxtaposed there. There they are together. They have become one. And it says then that Jesus came and, uh, and dwelt among us. That's not, that's not the kind of translation I would like. Here's, here's what I like. Jesus became flesh, became human, and pitched his tent among us. That's really what it's saying. That's what a tabernacle is. It's a tent. Jesus came as a human, and he pitched his tent among us. Now, this is so significant, and I'll tell you why. Now, for us English readers, we don't really maybe get the, you know, the, the, the significance of that. But for a Jewish man or woman, they quickly understood the significance of this. In the Old Testament, you may remember that when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he led them into the wilderness, and then he said, I want you to build a tent or a tabernacle. And what you're going to do, Moses, is you're going to get all the people, all my people, all the Israelites, all the 12 tribes to camp around the tent. And I will be right there in the middle of Israel. I will dwell among you. You get it? This is the imagery that John is referencing. Jesus came into this world and he pitched his tent among us. Only this time, God's presence is not just a, a, a cloud of fire by, or a, a column of fire by night and a, and a pillar of cloud by day. It's the actual personal presence of God. And so here's what we see. We see uh, Jesus in his time on the earth. He's there fishing with his disciples. That's actually a picture of Jesus, if you didn't know. We see him there. The crowds are surrounding him. He's right there in the middle. You get that? Right there in the middle of, of his people. He's right there teaching them, instructing them, healing them. They can touch him. They can listen to him. It's, it's the most brilliant thing. God has come to his people. And guess what? John says so many of them didn't recognize him, but there were a few dead. Why does this matter? Well, my brother and sister are telling me about one of their employees who says, I don't want to go to church. I don't really, don't really like it. And they ask, well, why not? Because, well, because wherever there's religion, there's always fighting and clashing. And, I, and they said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, the country that I came from, uh, which was, which was uh, the old Yugoslavia, um, the Serbs fighting the Croats, and it was Muslims versus the Catholics. The Catholics and Muslims, they're all taking up guns and killing each other. So in his mind, anything to do with God or religion is bogus. He wants nothing to do with it. Wisely, my sister-in-law said to, uh, to him, don't you understand that when it comes to Jesus Christ, we're, we're not talking about a religion. We're talking about a relationship with God. We're talking about being able to know him personally, to walk with him and to talk with him, to hear his voice, where he can minister to you and comfort you and teach you how to have an abundant life. He never heard anything like that. His father's, I think his father's a Muslim, his mother's a Catholic, 
and nothing but disaster fighting. Well, I want you to know today that when anybody asks you about your faith, about your Christianity, what is it that you believe? When they're asking, who is this Jesus that you worship? Here's what you're going to tell them. This Jesus that I worship, I have a personal relationship with him. I walk with him every day. I talk to him every day, and he talks to me. And you say, well, how does Jesus talk to you? Well, I, I have a Bible, and in that Bible, he talks to me. And I can talk to him. It's called prayer. We don't just teach you the, to, to pray prayers that are written out for you and just you mindlessly recite them. We teach you prayers that, that make you think and make you connect and make you express your feelings and your thoughts and your hurts and your problems to God. Oh God, I'm, I'm going through a difficult time. Or God, thank you. Thank you for being so good to me. It's a personal relationship with God. So why does this matter? Well, much of Christian teaching, as you know, focuses on the, on the death of Jesus Christ. Every church has got a cross on it. Uh, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. We're, we're very thankful for the fact that every church teaches the death of Jesus, and rightly so. But here's what we sometimes forget to talk about. We, we neglect the teaching that Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience to Jesus Christ, which you can read about in John chapter 8. Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father. Now, if all Jesus had to do was to die on the cross for our sins, here's what he would have done. On Good Friday, he would have come zipped down to earth from heaven. He would have died on the cross. He would have risen from the dead, and then he would have zipped back up to heaven again. But he didn't do that. As a human, he was born to the Virgin Mary. By the way, how many shopping days are there left till Christmas? 49. Thank you. I knew, I knew Brenda could give me that number. Christmas is a celebration of God coming to this earth as a human being. And he lived on this earth for 33 years. So it obviously was not just about his death and his resurrection. It was about his life. Jesus came to this earth to teach us how to live. And it's for this reason that Jesus says this. I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Did you get that? Jesus is teaching you and I how to live in this life. He's teaching us that what it means to be a Christian is that I am living my life to please God and not myself. I'm not doing my will. I'm doing the will of my Father. And the question is this. Are you doing the will of the Father? Are you doing the will of the Father? You say, well, hold on, Pastor. That sounds like extreme religion to me. Hey, remember, we're not a religion. We're talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And pure discipleship, pure followership of Jesus means that you are living your life in such a way as to fulfill the will of the Father. This is what God's will is. This is why Peter says that Jesus has given us an example that we should follow in his steps, doing what he did, living the way he lived, fulfilling the will of God. And by the way, that's why we teach the seven habits here. The seven habits of Jesus is how Jesus lived. Now, by the way, there may be eight or nine. I don't know. I haven't been able to figure that one out yet. But so far, I can find seven things 
that Jesus did in a, uh, consistently every day. And by the way, this is how we raised our kids. We raised our kids to follow Jesus in the way that Jesus demonstrated to us. And so, for instance, we say that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to have a daily walk with God because that's what Jesus did. And we read that in Mark chapter 1, don't we? Mark chapter 1, verse 32, very early in the morning, before, before the sun was up, Jesus went to a solitary place to pray. He went to meet with the Father. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus, it says, it, it was his habit to be in the synagogue once a week. And it's why we teach you to be in church every Sunday. Don't miss People who miss church quickly fall away from God. And that's observation. I'm not being judgmental or critical. That's my observation after years of being a pastor. We teach you to be holy like Jesus is holy. In fact, God says, be holy because I am holy. In the book of Hebrews, it says, those who are not holy will not go to heaven. So our job is to teach you to live like Jesus, to follow him. Because Jesus was a holy man. How many know that? He was perfect without sin. He came to this earth as a human to show us how to live a holy life. Moment by moment holiness. Every time you make a decision, you say, oh God, I'm not going to do my will. I'm going to do God's will. You get that? We're making hundreds of decisions. Some would say thousands of decisions every day. Some of them are moral decisions. Many are not. But those moral decisions, those things that God wants us to do, we've got to do it every time. Because that's what holiness is. It's doing the will of God every time. My job as a father is to teach my kids how to follow Jesus, how to be like Jesus. And so what I have to do is I have to teach them by my example. When my kids look to my life, they're going to say, Dad doesn't just preach at us, doesn't just, just talk and talk and talk, but he walks it. He walks the talk. By the way, parents, if you want your kids to follow Jesus, then you have to walk the talk. If you don't walk the talk, then there's a good chance your kids aren't going to do it either. Now, I want to read to you very quickly from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. And here's what it says. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. Did you get that? Because we're flesh and blood, Jesus had to become flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Did you hear that? Jesus breaks the power of death. He breaks the power of Satan. That's why he had to become a human. When somebody asks you, why did Jesus have to be human? You're going to tell them it's because he had to come to this earth to break the power of death, which we're going to talk more about next week. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Man, I thank God for my grandmother. You've heard me say this so many times. I thank God for my grandma, Grandma Duncalf. She, by the time she got to her mid-70s, she's starting to get a bit of dementia, dementia, and she's like, I'm sick and tired of this world. I want to I go be with Jesus. I'm, I'm ready to go anytime now. And I love that. And I thought, really, you're, not, you're not afraid to die, Grandma? No, I'm ready to go. Wow, that's what Jesus does. He breaks the power of the fear of dying. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say this. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. By the way, you and I are descendants of Abraham. Did you know that? 
And I'll tell you why we're descendants of Abraham. Because Abraham was a man of faith. And anybody who puts their faith in God, who believes God and does what God says, is a, is a son and a daughter of Abraham. And so let me read that again. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help you and me. Wow. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people, which we're talking about next week. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Well, hallelujah. That's what Jesus Christ does for us. That's why Jesus had to become a human. So Jesus says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. We are, every one of us, committed as Christians to living exactly the way Jesus lived. He said, I've given you an example to follow. Now do as I do. Now you could say today, well, how do I know what that is? Don't don't say it, folks, because that's going to really reveal your ignorance. But the way that you know how to do what Jesus did is by reading the word of God and looking at the life of Jesus and seeing how he lived. The reason Jesus said this is because Jesus was out with his disciples. They they were out preaching and doing their ministry. And at the end of the day, they came home. Everybody's tired and dusty. Uh, Their feet are filthy. And whenever you came into uh, somebody's home, if it was a wealthier home, then it would be the servant that would come and wash your feet. Well, here's this great crowd of people, and everybody's looking around to see who's going to wash the feet. Whose job is it this time? I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not washing, I'm not washing his feet. They are dirty and they stink. I'm not having any part of that. So here's what Jesus does. He gets a bowl of water, he kneels down, and he begins to wash everybody's feet. And everybody's embarrassed now because the rabbi, the teacher, is washing our feet. This is not right, this is wrong, this, is not, this shouldn't be this way. But Jesus is doing that. And it gets to Peter, and Peter says, no, no, you can't wash my feet, I'll wash yours. What's Jesus doing? He's teaching us by human example how you and I need to serve one another. This is how you and I need to function as Christians. We go out of our way to serve one another. Jesus says, do as I have done to you. Are you willing to serve your wife? Are you willing to wash her feet? Pastor, her feet stink bad. (laughs) Are you willing to wash her feet? Are you willing to wash his feet? Now, I'm not saying you need to literally wash each other's feet, but what you need to do is literally serve one another. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And that's why Jesus spent 33 years on this planet, to teach us what it means to really love one another. Last night, uh, one of the young ladies at the VOH banquet. By the way, thank you to those of you who came to the banquet last night. But uh, she's from the Village of Hope, and she gave her testimony. She said, this young woman, her name is Patricia, about 11 years of age, her, her parents both died. She had nowhere to go. And it was Village of Hope that took her in. 
Now, before we go any further, can I remind you of something? We as Christians who want to honor Jesus, who want to do the will of God, we give money to make it possible to care for these kids. And so she was giving a testimony of what the Village of Hope does. Now, can I just remind you, it's not just the Village of Hope, but by saying the Village of Hope, she's actually saying you and me. And everybody who calls himself or herself a Christian, everybody who is prepared and willing to do what Jesus said, willing to serve, willing to give, willing to share. She said, if it wasn't for VOH, she said, I don't know where I'd be today. Here's where she is now. She's the first young woman from Africa that was given a scholarship to study at McGill University. Now, those of you who maybe have come from an academic background, you understand that when we talk about McGill University in Canada, it's one of the greats one of the great universities in, in the world, actually, but in Canada. Wow. And she's there studying. And she's studying a double major, if you can believe this. Economics, and I can't remember what the other one was, international law or something. It just blew my mind. But she said this. She said, I was a victim, and now I'm a victor. I was a, I was a mess, and now I have a message. Isn't that good? She says, I was tested, but now I have a testimony. That's the power of Jesus Christ, who came to this earth as a human. You want to know what Jesus Christ does? Jesus Christ brings hope to a broken and hurting world. Jesus Christ brings hope to you and to me, but but not just to you and me. He wants to use us to bring hope to a broken and hurting world. This is what Christianity is all about. And so the next time someone says to you, I hate religion, say, I hate it too. But I love Jesus, and I'll tell you why. Because he came to this earth as a human. He was not just some, some distant creator God. He came to this earth as a human to teach us how to live. He taught us how to change the world through love. Folks, you and I are ambassadors and messengers of his love. Let me just quickly share this with you. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could Jesus die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Satan wanted to destroy Patricia, but Jesus Christ had a different plan. Hallelujah. Isn't that fantastic? (laughs) Satan wants to destroy your marriage, but Jesus Christ has another plan. Satan wants to destroy your family, your kids, but Jesus has another plan. And here's what God wants you and I to do. God wants you and I to submit to him, to come to him in full surrender and say, Lord Jesus, I will bend my knee to you in humble obedience. Lord Jesus, I will not hold a grudge. I will not be angry. I will not be bitter because I remember, Jesus, what you did for me. It's easy to hold a grudge, isn't it? It's easy to be angry. It's easy to be bitter, isn't it? Until you remember what Jesus did for you, how Jesus forgave you.
Let's stand together, shall we? God, we just want to say thank you right now for sending us your son, our beautiful, beautiful Savior, who came to this earth as a human, full of grace, full of truth. Our creator God came to this earth to show us how to live, not just to die on the cross, but to show us how to live. And Father, we pray now for the grace and for the strength. We pray for the special anointing of the Holy Spirit to come upon everyone here so that every one of us could surrender our lives to you, O God, and to live in full and complete obedience to you. God, thank you today that you've given us your spirit who enables us and quickens us and strengthens us. And so, Lord, we thank you. Thank you that we belong to you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said it with me. Amen. Hey, tell the person beside you, go be like Jesus.